Well, hello again. Uh, those of you who are joining us online, everybody who is here in this room, we're so glad that you are with us this morning. We are in this series called Even Now, where we are looking at a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And specifically, we are, uh, we are looking at how to, how to experience joy in our lives, even now in the midst of suffering and struggles. Today, we're, we're going to talk uh, again uh, about this, this letter in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, one of my favorite activities, running. I say that in jest. I don't like running. I don't really run very much. Um, when I was in college, I ran a lot. But when I graduated and no longer had somebody forcing me to run, I stopped. Made sense. And then uh, shortly after that, I, I stopped working out and exercising altogether. And then eight years after that, I one day, I don't even know what sparked it, but out of the blue, I told my wife, yeah, I could run two miles. I used to run more than that. Two miles isn't that big of a deal. I could, I could run two miles. And that was a huge mistake. Um, I, I was too stubborn to give up. But my wife said uh, later that she was legitimately concerned that I was going to die. She said, your face was so red. I've never seen it that red. And uh, it was so I, I learned a lesson or relearned a lesson that day. One, not, not only this, but one, uh, I, like when you don't exercise for eight years, you get really out of shape. And two, uh, running, running isn't only for training, but it also requires training. Running isn't only for training, but it, it requires training. Yes, everybody, uh, almost everybody can run a little bit, but not everybody can run well. In order to run well, you must Train. And that was, that was a lot of what Paul, the, the apostle, uh, shared a lot, is this training ourselves to live godly. You know, as preachers and, and teachers, we, we try to find metaphors and illustrations and, and imagery that helps resonate with our, our audience to, to help them understand what we're trying to, to say. And the Apostle Paul did this a lot. You see this a lot. He used the imagery of sports. Let's look at, at some of the imagery that, that the Apostle Paul used with sports. He, he said, I, I do not box as one beating the air. Um, he said in Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestling, see, is this imagery of sports. But uh, the, the one sport that, that the Apostle Paul used more than any other was running, was running. He said, he said about himself in Acts chapter 20, if only I may finish my course. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, he says, in a race. Don't you know that in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. This, this running. And then he says in Galatians chapter 2, he says about himself, I, I, I was trying to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. And then he, he goes on a little bit later to the people at, at Galatia. He said, he says, I, you were running so well, but someone came in. What happened? You were running so well. And then at the end of his life, at the end of his life in, in 2 Timothy, he says, he says, I have finished, I have finished the race. 
I have finished the race. The Apostle Paul loved to use the imagery of, of running for, uh, for a, a correlation to the, the, the life of a believer. His overall emphasis in his ministry was, was for us to, to achieve spiritual maturity, how to live this Christian life well, or, or in light of this, how to run this race well. And this morning, that's what we're going to look at from this running imagery, from this running imagery here with, from the Apostle Paul is three things that we need to run this race well. Three things we need to run this race well. First, we need, we need dedication. We need dedication. In, in the chapter here, in chapter 3, verse 12, he, he begins this, this whole section here with, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. He's saying, I haven't quite made it there. I haven't quite obtained this. What is, what is this that he's talking about? What is this? He's saying this is the perfection of his faith. This is becoming a spiritually mature believer. Paul's saying, I, I, have, not, I have not obtained what, what I need to be spiritually mature. I have not finished this. I have not completed this that I would say that this is what it means to be a mature believer. He's not where he belongs. He still has things that he is called to do. There is still more to be done, still more to be learned from or by the Apostle Paul to be a mature believer. See, this is both encouraging and discouraging to me. It's encouraging because, because well, I, it's great to see that I'm not the only one who feels this way. I'm not the only one who feels like, oh man, I haven't, I haven't made it. I mean, I, I look at the Apostle Paul, who is arguably one of the, the greatest people to ever have lived, uh, definitely one of the greatest Christians to have ever lived, and he says, I haven't quite made it. I haven't quite made it. This is encouraging because then I look at how far I have to go and I'm like, oh, okay. So at least, at least I'm not the only one who feels that way. But it's also discouraging because of what all he's accomplished. Look at Paul's accomplishments at the, at the time of writing this. He had been on three missionary journeys. These are not like our missions trips where we go for a week or two weeks or some of us even a month. He, he went on, on these missionary journeys where he traveled very intense trips and he was out there for, for long periods of times. And while he was on these, he started 14 to 20 churches. That's a lot of churches for someone to start. Now, uh, most pastors don't start one. Paul started 14 to 20, somewhere in there. But, but not only that, uh, he wrote 12 books or letters that, uh, that were so full of wisdom and helpful theology that, that we compiled them, and now they are part of what we have as the New Testament. That's, that's, that's crazy. Okay, then, then Paul's also, this is, this is probably one of my, my favorite things said about Paul. In, in uh, Acts chapter 19, it says that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Paul was, was being used by God doing great things, so much so that it says that, um, that, that people were being healed by, by touching his apron. Touching his Abraham, who were being healed by that. At the time of, of this, at the time of writing this letter, Paul had been in ministry for 30 years. This is a, a long time to have done all of these things and accomplished all of these things. And then Paul still says, I'm not quite there. 
I have not quite obtained all of this or, or reached my, my goal. That's discouraging because I'm like, man, I haven't done any of that. What does that say about me? How much further do I have to go? Really, what, what, what he's saying is, is, is this, that the more we grow, the more we grow in our spiritual maturity, the more aware we become of just how much more we still have to grow. The more we learn, the more we realize how much we still don't know. The, the, the further we go, the further we realize we still have to go. So this, this then means that, that a sign of spiritual maturity is the recognition that we are not yet mature. Or, better still, the recognition that we will never be fully mature until we reach heaven. Because of this, because we will never be fully mature until we reach heaven, we need dedication. We need to be able to continue. We need to be able to push on no matter how difficult, no matter how good. We need to be able to keep going. When things are hard, we have to remember, I can't stop here because there is more. God's not done. I'm not done. When things are good, we have to remember that, that I'm, I have to keep going. I can't settle into complacency. Either way, we have to, to be dedicated and, and committed to continuing forward so that we don't stop or settle into complacency. Not only do we need dedication, but we also need concentration. We need concentration. Paul, Paul says here, uh, after that, right, after that he says, but one thing I do, one thing I do, I haven't reached everything, I have not, I've not done this. I'm still, I'm, I still, still have a ways to go. But one thing I do, one thing I do. He, what he's saying here is that, that there is a, a, a necessary narrowing of our focus to one thing to concentrate. One thing upon which we should put all of our concentration, all of our focus it's this idea of, of not letting ourselves be distracted by anything else because this one thing is so important. You know, this, this idea of one thing is, very, is, a, is a very important biblical phrase. In Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus at the house with Mary and Martha. And Martha, uh, the sisters of Mary and Martha, Martha was busy working and, and cooking. And she was busy doing all this stuff. And Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha gets frustrated and she says, Jesus, Jesus, aren't you going to make Mary work? Are you going to let her be lazy? And I love Jesus' response. He looks at her and he says, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And then, and then in Luke chapter 18, he has this rich young ruler come to him and talk to him about eternal life. And, and, and he goes through this thing of what, what do I need to do? What do I need to have? And then Jesus finally ends the whole thing with one thing you still lack. One thing. King David said in Psalm 27, he said, uh, he said, there's one thing I desire, one thing I desire, and for that I will 
I will seek. One thing, this, this idea of one thing is very important in, in the, the Bible, throughout the Bible. One thing, narrowing our focus. Jesus said, uh, he said that, that we are to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. That, that the one thing, the one thing is to pursue Jesus, pursue him, pursue this. The one thing, narrowing our focus, narrowing our focus to one thing. And so what Paul is saying here is that he says, he says, I'm forgetting. My one thing is I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm forgetting those things that lie behind. That word, uh, that word means to actively neglect. This is someone who is actively ignoring what lies behind him. He is saying that, that I will not allow those things to trip me up. I will not allow those things to hinder me. I will not let those things catch my focus and distract me from the one thing that is important. And why is this important to not do this? What lies behind us? What is it that lies behind us? First, the thing that lies behind us is our mistakes, those things that we have done. Those, those things that we regret, we all have them, right? We all have those things that we have done that we regret almost immediately. We're like, oh, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that, if you're like me. That's typically what I do. But we all have those things that we regret. And if we allow ourselves to be distracted by those things that, that we have done, our mistakes, our regrets, what will happen is we will be caught up in caught up in the, the prison of shame and guilt, and we can't experience what Christ has for us in the future or even now. And so he says we have to forget those mistakes that we made, but not only that, we have to forget our accomplishments. That's another thing that lies behind us are those things that we've done that are good. We can, we can go a long time on, on past success, Right? We can go a long time on, well, yeah, I did that. I, you know, I, I did pretty good. And if we're not careful, we can look back at all that we've done and all of the times that we've served and all of the things that we've read and all of the things that we've given and all of the things that we've done and think, well, I, you know what, I've done a lot more than them. And it keeps us from, from continuing on into what we're supposed to be doing, which is growing. And so our, our past, uh, what lies behind us, our mistakes, our accomplishments, but also our hurts, those things that have been done to us, those things that, 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 that hurt, that, that were devastating to us. Some of us cannot continue in joy and cannot continue all that God has for us. We can't even continue walking with him. We've given up on him simply because we've been hurt in the past and we can't get past that. We allow those, those, those hurts to trip us up. And so what Paul is saying is that we have to learn, we have to learn to to forget those things that, that lie behind us because ultimately, ultimately what lies behind us is the record of how well we are doing. And so what Paul is saying, you have to learn, I have to learn. Paul said that he had to learn to ignore and neglect those things, the record of how well he was doing. And that's, in, that's, that's, that's not easy, right? 
And see, if we, if we look at what we've, what we've accomplished, if we look at, at what we've accomplished, we, we can very easily say, well, I've done this. So, I mean, if you've seen what all I've done, you would know that I've, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty good believer. I'm in a pretty good place. Or, or we can say, if you've seen how far I've come or what I've had to get over, you will see that I'm doing, I'm doing pretty, pretty well, all things considered. And what Paul is saying is that we have to learn. We have to learn to, to ignore those things that are behind us and, and neglect the record of how well we're doing. And see, I, I feel it's important that, that, that I say that, that it's okay for us to go back in the past to visit the past, to work through past hurts, or make things right with us and God or us and the people around us. It's okay to visit the past, to, to, to work through things, to make things right, but it's not okay to live there. Paul was not saying that we can or should just completely move on without working through that stuff, but what he is saying is that we will not allow those things to concentrate or to, to capture our concentration and distract us from moving forward. We will work through them and then we will move on. And so what Paul is saying here is he says, he says, there's one thing that I do, forgetting those things that lie behind and straining forward is this imagery of a runner lunging toward the finish line. Does anybody else think it's interesting that Paul says one thing I do and then mentions two? I do. I've always thought that was interesting. This one thing I do, here's the one thing, and then, oh, there's another thing. Just forget about it. We're, we're doing one thing. No, what he's, what he's saying is, is they're connected. They're connected. There is a substitution. I am substituting what lies behind for something else. I'm substituting the record of how well I'm doing for what lies ahead of me. And then he goes on to share the third thing, the third thing that we need in, uh, to run this race well, motivation. Motivation. He says, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. The goal, that is the motivation. That is the thing that, that he's saying, I, I, I am going to, to reach that. I am going to reach that thing. He says, he says that, that, that I, I need to be motivated. I, that is my, my motivation. See, um, what, what happens is with, without proper motivation, Without proper motivation, people will, will uh, keep or they will stop from fulfilling all of their, all of their, their goals. They will stop from ever reaching this level of maturity that they are to reach. With, without the proper motivation, we will never fulfill all of our potential. But sometimes the right motivation, the right motivation can, can actually cause us to outperform everybody's expectations of us. The right motivation can cause us to, to outperform everybody's expectations of us. When I was in college, we, we had this one exercise where, where we would sit on a weight bench and we'd put our elbows on our knees and we would hold our arms out and hold a 45-pound 45 uh, uh, 45 plate in our fingertips and we would put our thumbs together and we had to, uh, we had to hold it as long as we could. What's interesting, what was always interesting to us was that if somebody did this exercise by themselves, they always gave up way quicker than if they did this at the same time as someone else. 
Sometimes people could actually go twice as long if there was another person going with them than if they were by themselves. It's interesting because the weight didn't change. Really, their strength didn't change. But what changed was their motivation. The uh, right motivation can, can cause us to outperform even our own expectations. I say this right motivation is, is important for living this life with Christ. And Paul says the prize, the motivation is, is knowing Christ fully and being like Christ fully. That is the prize. That is the, the prize. His goal, he said in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, he says I've determined I don't, I don't care to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. I, my goal, my focus, my, my motivation is knowing him. That's, that's what I want. See, I said a minute ago, this was about substituting of what lies behind for what lies ahead. Other than this, this prize, other than this motivation, what lies behind, what lies ahead, this, this substitution? Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20 here. It, it, says, uh, it says, We eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Look at these two lines. We eagerly await a Savior who will transform. Paul is saying, say, hey, you know what? This is what I'm, this is what I'm looking forward to. This is what I'm looking ahead to. I'm, I'm forgetting all of the, the record of how well I'm doing, and I am looking forward, awaiting the Savior who's going to transform me. What Paul is saying is that, that it, is, it is not me who does it. It is Christ who does it. Ultimately, ultimately what, what he's saying is, is that we have to learn, we have to learn to, to substitute, to substitute the things that are behind us for, for what Christ has done before us. What Christ has done behind us for what, or what we have done behind us for what Christ has done before us. He's saying Christ is the one that's done. I'm not doing it. I'm not moving forward. I'm not doing all of these things. All that I am doing is running toward knowing him. In, in order for us to, to live, in order for us to live in the joy, the joy that we have, to experience this joy, we have to learn, we have to learn to substitute the record of how well I'm doing for the record of what Christ has done, because it's not about you, it's about him. If I live based on, on the record of what I have done, if I live based on the record of what I have done, my joy, my joy is very conditional. It's based upon me. It's based upon what I can do, which is not that much. But if I live based upon what Christ has done, that gives me joy, that gives me peace. Even when things are bad, even when I fail, even when I mess up, because it's not about me. That's the key to having joy in this life. Substituting the record of how well I am doing for the record of what Christ has done on my behalf. It's not about how good I am or how great I am. It is about what he has done. That gives us the motivation. That gives us the ability to concentrate. That gives us the determination to, to 
continue going. In 1992, uh, Beth Ann DeCentis attempted to qualify for the Olympics running in a, a marathon. And uh, this, uh, the qualifying time for females in these, these, uh, the, the marathon race was two hours and 45 minutes. Two hours and 45 minutes. Around, Beth said that around uh, mile 23, she began to have problems. That's typically when I start having troubles uh, around mile 23. It's pretty, uh, pretty hard for me. Uh, but, but anyway, she, uh, two minutes left for qualifying. She was 200 meters away from the finish line, and she stumbled and fell. She stumbled and fell, and, and she stayed down, dazed for 20 seconds. And finally, she was motivated by the crowds around her yelling, cheering for her to get up and to continue on. And so she stood to her feet and she began to walk. Five yards from the finish line, 10 seconds left, she fell again. This time she, she got on her hands and her knees and she crawled across the finish line. And her finishing time was two hours 44 minutes and 57 seconds. She finished with three seconds to spare. And she ran in the Olympics the same as the first person to finish strong. The whole point is we have to realize, we have to understand that even crawling across the finish line even crawling across the finish line is, is as good as sprinting across it. It's okay for us to struggle and make it. We just have to learn to make it. Because the reality is, when we get across the finish line, God's not going to look at us and say, well, let me see how well you did. He's going to say, well done. You made it. You made it because the goal is not for us to be able, it's not for us to be able to, it's not for us to be able to work our way there. The goal is to simply know him and trust that he is doing it through us. He is the one that has accomplished it. To trust the statement in John chapter 19 where he said, it is finished, it doesn't matter how well John is running his race. I finished it for him. Just keep running, John. Crawl if you have to. Just keep coming. That's what we have to remember. All we have to do is keep running toward the prize, which is knowing him. Running towards the goal, which is knowing him. He does everything else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have accomplished everything, that you have done everything for us. And God, all we have to do is simply run toward the goal of knowing you. Encourage us today, God, to, to find the dedication to keep running, the, 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 the concentration to not be distracted, and the motivation to run toward knowing you. And then, God, I thank you for your transformation that you have done everything.
It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.